so much for joining us today for an episode of the 1010 podcast. You know that every week we talk about life and the abundant life that we can have through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I love hearing how God uh, speaks and does his work through people's lives. And today I have a special guest with me, Jeremy Valorant, and he is the CEO of Atlas Free formerly known as Rescue Freedom. And I know you're going to love to hear his story. So thank you so much for joining us today. Let's get started. All right, thanks for having me. Sweet, Jeremy, we're so excited to hear about a little bit about you. I've known you for a long time. We were just talking about since yeah. 1994, yeah, five, six or so in there yeah known your family almost, so that's what almost 30 years now i love your sister yeah. both your sisters um and your parents and um yeah and you were good friends with my brothers yep so we've known each other for yeah go way back <laughs> a long time and it's cool i feel like um you know i share a little bit of your story just because growing up together having you know yep. being a part of the school and the church and just to see the way that god has um grown you up in him and is using you. So let's just jump into your story. This is just a conversation. We haven't rehearsed it, but yeah. love to hear, you know, how, how God brought you to where you are today. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, for me grew up, uh, about a half hour from where we're at now, kind of out <laughs> in the foothills of the Cascade mountains, small town. Beautiful. Um, and you know, you know, my parents, but what, <laughs> A lot of people don't know is uh, that they know my parents now and know how big of a, of a deal mm -hmm. faith is to them and sort of how that's oriented their whole lives. But uh, when I was a kid, they actually weren't believers. Mm -hmm. And so even though I was young, they came to faith when I was a, a kid. And I remember the, the pivot in our house, like the shift mm -hmm. of sort of moving from. Well, you know, I wouldn't have been able to put words to it at the time, but just feeling like something's different in our house. Wow. And it was a pretty dramatic transformation. And. And I think for me, the way that shaped sort of the early journey that really even informed where I'm at today is they they didn't really know any better than to just sort of like read the Bible and be like, well, I guess it, God says to like care for the widows and the orphans mm. and, you know, whatever you do for one of the least of these, you know, there's that amazing story when yes. Jesus is is speaking and he's saying, you know, I was hungry and you fed me. I was, I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the people around are like, wait, when, when did we do that? And he yeah. says, well, whatever you did for one of the least of these, it was actually as if you did it to me. Wow. And so for my parents, uh, shortly after coming to faith, they heard about the need. There was ref, a, ref, a refugee crisis and there were mm. refugees that needed sponsors and a place to live. Mm. And so they're like, oh, well, people, if God didn't have a home, we'd welcome them in. And so like, yeah. I remember when we were young, this family of five moving in and they didn't speak English and their kids were young and it was chaos. But it wow. was also there was some unbelievable beauty that came out of that. And so yeah. I think early on. Um, my, my folks sort of instilled in us this this idea that whatever we're given, whether we have much or little, we're supposed to use it, you know, to be faithful, to to be good stewards of, of what God has given us and yeah. and to serve the vulnerable yep. and and those in need. And yeah. so um, so I think that really shaped that that early trajectory um, and then grew up in a really 
kind of wonderful, mm-hmm. idyllic family context. Like my yeah. parents are still together to this yeah. day. They've had a great marriage. We grew up in a great church community, first in a small town church, and then mm-hmm. eventually at the same church where we met yeah. uh, and where your dad was the pastor at the mm-hmm. time. And just was surrounded by a lot of great community, great leaders who mm-hmm. took me under their wing and were just willing to like speak into my life yeah. and be encouraging and affirming and had grace on me when I made stupid decisions right. as a young person or, um, and just in a lot of ways, I feel like, you know, you hear, you hear stories and we both have friends from over the years that had maybe a negative experience with somebody in the church Mm -hmm. and they sort of put all that on the church or all that on God and really were jaded and disillusioned. I feel really fortunate that most of what I experienced in the church, uh, even from humans who are all, you know, sinful and make mistakes that by and large, my experience growing up in it was one of kindness and grace and action in the world, compassionate action, not apathetic, sit back while the world's in crisis, but the kind of people that were taking in refugees and being generous and engaged in the world and wanting to, Hmm. you know, combat injustice. And, um, but I will say, I think the thing for me that um, when I first learned about human trafficking, that that was really eye opening was in some ways I had experienced such a, a sort of quaint, small town, good childhood. Right. Um, that I hadn't really confronted the depth of darkness in the world. Yeah. And so about. 15 years ago, uh, when I went on a trip with a mentor to India Mm. and it wasn't a mission trip or a humanitarian trip. It was just, he had grown up there and wanted to go back and Mm. sort of retrace his childhood steps. And I was single and we didn't have kids at the time and I love to travel. And so he invited me to go and I said, yes. Um, and we met this Indian man that was rescuing women and children out of brothels. And he said, let's go see, I want to show you the work. And then you can see kind of the work that we're doing after they come out of, of exploitation. And so he drove us into what at the time was the largest red light district in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, they estimated at its peak somewhere in the vicinity of 50,000 women and children in sexual exploitation wow. in about 11 square blocks. Um, and so compared to the town of Monroe, where when I was a kid, you know, it was a town under 5,000 people. So Mm -hmm. to try to wrap your head around 50,000 people in 11 blocks, that's, that's a a density of humanity that was hard to fathom. But then to think about that number of people being exploited Mm. was just unfathomable. And then as we drove into that area, I mean, this was, it was just rampant Mm. exploitation. And I think for me, it was this confrontation with a level of darkness. Mm. And, and I think in a way I was almost, there was a hopelessness that set in when I first saw it of like, well, I'm glad we believe in a God who gives people eternal hope that like we can one day we'll get to heaven and it'll be streets of gold and everything will be wonderful. Like, thankfully, maybe, you know, these people have hope on the other side of life, but like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is this, there's no getting over this, uh, like this side of heaven. Um, and so there was kind of this hopelessness and, you know, if I was honest, I could, I could sing the song amazing grace and Mm -hmm. say like, I was blind, but now I see, but I had never growing up in a Christian context, growing up around love and community, I had never really experienced true blindness right? uh, and, and hadn't seen the, the extent of that contrast. Mm -hmm. And I felt like being in that red light district sort of forced me to confront that. 
and and kind of filled me with hopelessness like mm-hmm. oh man mm-hmm. uh, that's and and then the next day though we got to go and visit these safe houses these homes for women and children that had been rescued from these brothels and had escaped and were and uh, you know pursuing this this new life and the thing that struck me was how much joy and hope was radiating through that place. And so it was kind of this moment of like, wait a second, if there's really this kind of hope, like this side of heaven, like how can you not be a part of that? Wow. Um, And so that was kind of what drew me in. And it took a few years to figure out what that expression would look like. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But yeah, that's. I was going to say, at what point did you feel like, I think actually God wants me to be a part of this story. I mean, cause yeah. you're, I mean, I think you're a pretty great guy, but you're just an ordinary kid. Yeah. Small you know, you're town, just, small town kid. Yeah, yeah. Like grew up in, like you said, yeah. a happy home, you know, mom and dad together. Um, maybe not with some of that tragedy that you yeah. might think would propel people to be a part of, you know, many people want to serve in like police officers because they, because of stuff they've gone through or like, um, social workers because of broken families, yeah. but to, to enter into, um, you know, a ministry like rescuing people out of the sex trafficking industry. Like yeah. that's something very unique. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's amazing looking back to see how, how God kind of wove the mosaic, you know, there's that yeah. sort of sometimes cheesy metaphor, yeah. you know, of like a tapestry where I you see it, one though. sign, it's a beautiful picture. And then you flip yeah. it over and it's just this gnarl of threads. So true though. And I feel like it, it is. I mean, the reason that gets, you know, the reason that ends up on Hallmark cards is because <laughs> I think that is true of life, right? Yeah. Like it's oftentimes we just see the messiness yeah. and then all of a sudden you get these moments of perspective where it's right. like, wow, I, I would have never thought those. Yeah. So yeah. So I came back from that trip to India and was just feeling stirred to do something mm-hmm. and didn't know what that would look like. But that summer, uh, a group of friends, some of whom you know, mm-hmm. um, we had been planning to climb Mount Rainier. And I had done it before. In college, I got into mountain climbing. And and so I had done it before, and a few friends wanted to do it. And so they asked, hey, would you take us up Mount Rainier? Um, and, you know, for m- many people, if you're outdoorsy in Washington, that's a pretty common, like, yeah. bucket list. Yeah. Like, I got to climb that mountain because yeah. we see it on every sunny day. You mm-hmm. know, it's dominating the horizon. And and so it was just a trip for fun. I don't think I've ever wanted to climb. Hey, it's not right too late. You're, 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 <laughs> I can honestly say when I look yeah. at it, I'm like, that's beautiful. God made something huge. And I never think. But I, but my husband often thinks, yeah. like, anytime he sees a mountain, like, I want to climb Exactly. That I don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, well, it's not too late. We can, okay, we can, we'll pray uh, about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we were planning to climb it just for fun. And and we were doing our last training hike about two weeks before. And a friend of mine had emailed me that was doing a, a marathon to raise money for cancer mm-hmm. research. And so kind of this light bulb went on of like, oh, well, if you can run a marathon and raise money for cancer research, why can't you climb Mount Rainier and raise money to fight human trafficking? And so we just kind of thought this would be a one-time campaign that we would support an anti-trafficking organization. Right. And so we threw this campaign together. We called it Climb for Captives. And it kind of took off. We yeah. got we raised way more money than we thought. And then a few other friends were like, hey, can we do one of those Climb for Captives? And wow. then it was like, oh, I guess we got to do this again. <laughs> and so it was, it was literally this sort of a, a very simple example yeah. of God just kind of using what was in front of us that we didn't have, again, it wasn't like we set out to, 
to climb this mountain as some great noble yeah. charity endeavor. This no. was literally a group of buddies, just like, let's go do something. Um, and some might even say, you know, some see mountaineering as like a very selfish activity because mm. it's like, it's a little risky. Mm. You're going out, you're go, you know, you're, you're taking time away from your family. And so in a lot of ways, it was like a very not noble, mm. you know, it was just fun with friends. Um, and somehow God turned that because of our willingness and yeah. desire, he turned it into something that had a purpose. And now we just had the 15th anniversary of climb for captives wow. and there have been dozens and dozens of climbs all around the country. And it's the, just the climbs alone have crested over $2 million raised to fight human wow. trafficking. That's amazing. Um, and so it's just become like this whole story unto itself. Yeah. And so we were doing these climbs and that just pulled us deeper and deeper into this issue. Mm. And it was like, God just kind of kept giving me one doors. next step, yeah. you know? So after one of the climbs, a journalist reached out and mm. we're like, Hey, we have a bunch of questions about human trafficking. We think our readers would be interested. Mm -hmm. Would you share about human trafficking? Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't know that much about the issue. I just, you know, I had one experience yeah, and it grabbed my heart. And so they sent me, thankfully before the interview, they sent me a list of <laughs> questions and I was like, Oh no, I don't know. So I'm on like Google, like, yeah, well, you know, what, what are these stats and right. where does this happen? And um, and then a friend was like, Hey, you got to meet the detective in Seattle that leads all the anti-trafficking cases in Seattle. I was like, wait, mm. what? Like in Seattle, this is an issue. And wow. so I met with him and then we were like, this is, a, this is unbelievable. We didn't know this was happening in our backyard. And someone was like, well, there's this amazing woman in Seattle that works with uh, youth who are on the streets of Seattle mm. and she's a survivor of trafficking. You got to hear her story of being trafficked in Seattle. Wow. And so it was just like one meeting after the next of just sort of exploring this passion and curiosity. And, and after about four years of that really started to see some huge needs that weren't mm. being addressed mm. in the fight. Um, and more specifically kind of the, the thing we were seeing was one, as we were doing these climbs, friends from around the world and missionaries, and we'd always had different missionaries coming through the yeah. church or staying with us. And so people started hearing that we were doing these campaigns to raise money to fight human trafficking. Mm -hmm. And people started saying, oh, well, we know this amazing group in Thailand that's working with kids coming out of brothels. Mm -hmm. Could you support them? And this group in India and these different things around the world. Wow. And I was like, well, I don't know how to, one, I, most of them don't have like a U.S. nonprofit to, mm. to actually be able to get tax receipts for or mm -hmm. matching from corporations. Like, you know, there's for understandable reasons, you have to have like a certain level of legitimacy in the States to be able to get tax yeah. deductions. And so I'm just, you know, have this big heart trying to help. And people are like, oh, could you help set us and set up an organization for my friend in Thailand that's doing this? I'm like, this is this is really messy wow. and complicated. But at the same time, you know, at that point. All the data was showing that human trafficking was the fastest growing criminal enterprise on the planet. So this wasn't like a little issue I had stumbled on in Mumbai. Literally the fastest growing criminal enterprise on the planet and the second largest after the global drug trade. Wow. So it's this massive global issue that extends from Seattle to, mm -hmm. you know, Singapore to Mumbai to Madrid. Um, yeah. And so there's all this, you know, tragedy unfolding around the world. And yet what we began to see is this theme is that Anywhere where there was a population of people being exploited and a presence of people who are trying to follow Jesus, God was already raising up somebody who wanted mm. to give their life to do it. Wow. And in many instances, they were already doing it. We'd find, we'd hear about mm -hmm. these people where it's like, oh, for 10 years, they've been serving this population and rescuing women and children out of brothels, but they have very little funding. You know, they're, 
they're asking their church to have a prayer meeting just to pray that the rice would show up the next day to feed a home of 40 girls that had been rescued from brothels. And so they were trying to figure out how to survive, Mm. how to do this work. Um, And at the same time, there was no mechanism in the States to support them. And so that was kind of what ultimately gave birth to the organization was realizing like, oh, it seems like there's a need for an organization that could scour the globe to find the most amazing things already happening. Instead of trying to just recruit Americans to go move overseas and go to language school for two years and then have to enroll their kids in international school and go through that, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. We see that and it works. It's just, you can't tackle the fastest growing criminal enterprise on the planet that way. Wow. And if God's already raised up people who are giving their lives for it and it's their community and they know the language and they know the culture and they're already plugged in, why not find them, connect with them and invest in them? And so that was really the launching premise 12 years ago for why we decided to do this. It's just amazing. I mean, do you ever just sit back and be like, Lord, what's happening? Like, how, how did I get here? Because, um, I mean, I know, like, I just picture Jeremy out there just like, you know, fighting the sex traffickers. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, you know, you have people behind you that, yeah. I, and I just think, um, you know, when, when people, people who are listening, they're like, oh, I want to do great things for God. Yeah. But, um, you know, when I hear you say, I just took the next step in front of me. Yeah. Like you didn't have this master plan of like you know, you went, you saw it, you had that experience and then you're like, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. This is my 10 year plan. But you just took one step with God at a time. And you maybe only opened one door yeah. at a time. Was that scary? Oh or yeah. There, what did that feel like? I mean, it, I mean, it is, you know, the interesting thing is I think in the grace of God, like he meets us incrementally along mm-hmm. the way. And I'm sure you've seen this in all your years, you know, in, in pastoring mm-hmm. and working in, with people, you know, there's this principle in, in the scriptures that talks about if you're faithful in the little things, you'll Mm. be entrusted with much. Um, and, and I think part of that is, you know, this element of God, God's actually giving every single person opportunity to be faithful in the little things. And we, we often talk about it as if we think like, well, God sort of cherry picks the people that he really wants right. to bless. Right. And man, there's some people the that, chosen you ones. know, that, yeah, for whatever reason, they're, they're just chosen yeah. to, to be used by God. But I think really God is giving all of us mm-hmm. these micro opportunities all the time. I think so too. And those, even those can be scary and intimidating, but there's a totally. sense of momentum that comes when, when you sort of this progressive yes, where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Like mm-hmm. I just had to, you know, uh, there's this trend right now that I, uh, that I've, uh, a bunch of my friends are getting into like the whole world of cold plunging for health benefits. Oh, right? I know my and, son-in-law does that. Uh, yeah. And it's like, <laughs> and if you've ever tried it, it's horrifically miserable. Ugh. Like the first few times, like the idea of plunging into 30, six degree water or whatever is miserable. But then you talk to somebody who's done it for a month and they're like, Oh, it's amazing. I crave it. I feel so good. And you're like, it doesn't make any sense because it (laughs) sounds so miserable. But in a way I think, you know, it's, it's not a perfect analogy, but I think Hmm. that element of like the, the momentum that comes from just saying yes. And so like for me doing this climb, for instance, was like a, it was a simple yes, but it was still a daunting, like we're doing this climb and I'm like, mm-hmm. are people going to think I'm weird mm-hmm. if I email family and friends saying we're climbing right near, would you support us? Like, yeah, that, that there was some fear mm-hmm. and some, you know, some insecurity associated with what if they say no, what yeah. if they think I'm doing this for me? Mm-hmm. What if, you know, there's all the what ifs, 
And yet what I found That's was good. when I did that, the, while there were some people that, that maybe said, no, I don't want to support you, or I, I don't, I don't know if I really align with this or whatever, mm -hmm. the overwhelming majority of people, their response was like, oh my word, how cool. Like, can I be a part of it next time? Or yeah. I would love to learn more about this issue, or that's yeah. so great that you're getting out of your comfort zone and doing this. And so mm -hmm. that it was that like, oh, this, this wasn't so bad. And wow. so then we did it again and then more people responded. And so I think that incremental, mm. you know, and, and that was something I always appreciated about, um, you know, just growing up, obviously growing up for much of our lives in the same church and, yeah. and sort of your dad's heart mm -hmm. and just really encouraging people to step out of their comfort zone in right. obedience. Right. You know, whatever that was, we, I mean, we, we always had, and, and, you know, I love the way that he was always opening, um, Sundays to people from around the world coming and just yeah. sharing stories of faithfulness and obedience. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the trade-off of that is sometimes you hear somebody that's done something extraordinary. And even for this, people might hear like, oh, you know, Atlas Free is this organization now 12 years old working in over 20 countries around the world and think like, well, that's out here. And it's like, the reality is, is it's not. It started with just one little decision, yes. with one hike, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with one climb to say, how do we, how do we invite our friends and family? And then yeah. it, and it went from there and these, the, so, so good. I, there's no way I would have had the courage to set out, to, to go from where I was to trying to launch. If somebody was like, Hey, you've got this amount of time to launch a global organization. That's going to do this kind of work in this number of places. I would have been like, I don't have the resources. I don't have, but God was just gracious in giving me one small step in front of the other wow. and an opportunity to be faithful in very little things that somehow over time accrued into something that only God had envisioned ahead of time. Wow. What do you think uh, I know you talk about when you took those first steps of faith and it yeah. was like, where you expected resistance, you felt, you know, acceptance yeah. and like encouragement, but I know that's not always the case. And sometimes resistance comes even just like spiritual battles we're fighting in totally. our brains yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> or in our emotions or yeah. in, maybe it hits closer to home sometimes, but what did that resistance or what does that resistance feel like even today? Like what yeah. are some of those fears and like that you face? Totally. Yeah, you know, it's what's one of the things that's interesting with this issue, and a lot of people are drawn to this issue for this reason, is there's a perception that like, well, everybody's opposed to human trafficking. Like mm. that's a low, like in an era when right. there's all kinds of things we could talk yeah. about that we're divided on culturally, socially, mm. politically, um, that human trafficking is the thing that everybody's united on. Now, if that were actually true, it wouldn't be the fastest growing criminal enterprise on the planet. Like clearly there's a lot of people that right. are okay with human exactly. trafficking and are participating in human trafficking, right. which is why there's millions of people enslaved. Like thousands of people a day are trying to purchase exploitation in our own city right here. And so clearly not everybody's opposed to it. Now, I will say it is fun to get to be in this time on an issue that does have bipartisan passion directed at it. Mm -hmm. So we do get to work with people of all different, you know, shapes yeah. and sizes and heartbeats and political persuasions and yeah. faith persuasions that are like, yeah, we're not OK with that. Um, but there are a lot of people that are OK with it and profit off of it and want to participate in it and want to exploit. And so you do have to go into it expecting resistance. Mm -hmm. But because of the way that this issue is in culture, there's not really the space for those people who are OK with it to come out and say, hey, we're in favor of trafficking. Let's mm -hmm. argue with, you know, let's disagree with Jeremy and the Atlas Free team and and publicly, you know, debunk their view on slavery. 
Instead, they're going to, you know, people are going to find more sinister ways to attack you or they're going to question, you know, yeah. find more, um, you, you know, they'll, they'll try to whether that's on social media in right. the comments, they're not going to come out and say, I'm pro human trafficking. They'll just say, Oh, you guys are a terrible organization or you're this or you're that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's one of the things that, you know, people don't normally think about their, their local nonprofit as mm -hmm. being the kind of cause that would have enemies. Because if you're, if you're doing natural disaster relief, there's yeah. not a group of people out there that are like, oh, we love it when natural disasters, yeah, like don't swoop in with medical <laughs> yeah, aid or, you know, true. um, but there are on this issue. And so that's one of the things that we've talked about. That's really important for us and for our community to just mm -hmm. be mindful of and mm -hmm. prayerful of mm -hmm. is like, Hey, the more we grow, the more people are upset, wow. uh, because we're, disrupting yeah. their plan to exploit people and yeah. they profit off of that. And they don't want those people escaping from exploitation. Um, so it's a, you know, you have to kind of go into it with a unique posture and a willingness to say, because mm. I think fundamentally we, you know, certainly if we have the option, we would all prefer to be liked rather than disliked. For sure. Like nobody likes being disliked, even if it's yeah. by people you disagree with. Right. Like nobody wants people the on the other side of the aisle to be yeah. like, I don't like you or I hate yeah. you or you're a horrible person. Yeah. It's like, I would much rather civilly disagree with somebody and be like, right. well, I don't, I don't agree with you, but I'll, I'll still treat you kind if you came over to my house for dinner or yeah. like nobody wants to be hated. Nobody yeah. wants to be disliked. Nobody wants to be an enemy. I, I think at our core. Um, and, and I think honestly that comes from the simple fact that we're made in the image of God. Like we're mm -hmm. all drawn to the image of God in each other, regardless right. of what you believe or mm -hmm. what you think our fundamental identity first and foremost was created in the image of God. And so there's this element that we all long to sort of see and be seen as mm -hmm. the image bearers that we are. Yeah. And we want people to see deep down that like, we believe that I think whether people would acknowledge where that comes from deep down, people know. And that's where you hear, you know, you hear debate about like, are we inherently good? Or are we mm -hmm. inherently flawed? Mm -hmm. Well, the Bible would say we're both, you know, we would say first and foremost, you are inherently good in the sense that you are created in the image of God. First, your mm -hmm. core identity is him. Then mm -hmm. sin entered that picture and right. made us selfish and prideful and, yeah. you know, all the yep. other things that factored in that clearly play out in the world all around us. Right. Um, but deep down, we're all longing for, I think that common connection of like, yeah. we know we're an image bearer and we want yeah. to be validated as yeah. such. And we want to see that. Um, but this cause, and I think it's one of the reasons why it's growing and why, you know, we believe there's a, an enemy of our souls who yeah. wants to see this issue grow is because, there, I can't think of a, a more potent way to rob somebody of their image, their their right. sense of their image bearer, right. of being an image bearer of God, than them being exploited right. and sold and treated as nothing more than a piece of flesh. Like mm -hmm. being robbed of people seeing them and valuing them for who they are. They truly question, you know, and that's what we, we see in, and in the trauma recovery process. So many of them, especially the young kids, they, they, they just begin to, to like, if nobody's ever treated them as if they have value and right. dignity and worth, then yeah. they, they, they start to wonder like, am I valuable? Yeah. And does any, would anybody ever yeah. love me? Am I worthy of love? Yeah. Could I be loved? Um, yeah. and I think it really is one of the, the enemy's master plans to mm. rob people of their God given identity. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think like, let's talk to Christians for a minute about yeah. this, because when I think of the issue of abortion, you know, we know that 48% of women have experienced an abortion hmm. 
and that about half of those women would say they're Christians. Hmm. So when you think of that statistic, as much as I hate it, you know, being someone who loves the church and has grown up in the church, um, we know that these are not issues that only people outside of the church are dealing with. And I remember um, maybe the first time you spoke at Cedar Park about rescue free, about Atlas free and about, you know, um, freeing women from sex trafficking industry. I just was like, I didn't really know what that meant. Yeah. Like, what is the sex industry? Um, And I remember you talking about, like, pornography. Yeah. And I just wonder how many people who would say, I'm a believer, or I'm, you know, who are part of the church at large, who are actually participating. Yeah. Yeah. In, in sex trafficking. And maybe, and I I mean, I don't know. They say, I didn't know, but maybe aren't even really aware. Like, there's that, and I don't know. (laughs) I feel like I talk about things I don't know, but... Fans only, I think is what it's yeah. called, which is only fans, only yeah. fans. Yep. Okay. Um, you know, the, would, is that sex, in, is that yeah. sex trafficking? Yeah. I mean, you're seeing more and more connection there. I think that one of the things that's important for people to understand, and this is where some of the movies and films that have come out about human trafficking can do a disservice is most of the times, the most sensational stories of trafficking mm. Um, and they happen and they're real, you know, it's yeah. real where like a young, young girl is kidnapped and then forced into like a brothel where they're right. locked in a cage. So yeah. that happens. Absolutely. Yeah. And we and see I think those that's instances. What most people think of and that's what, yeah. And so initially. because that's what most people think of, what yeah. that enables is many of the men who are actually purchasing exploitation to say, well, I, I've never bought a nine-year-old in a cage when I mm-hmm. buy, you know, when I buy somebody I'm only buying the woman who's probably paying her way through law school right. and she's 18 yeah. and she says that, you know, and she was on the street of Seattle she she or she met it. me at a hotel and said yeah. she chooses it. Yeah. And because sometimes culture, we've created this extreme stereotype. Yeah. Again, it's based in reality, yeah. but it's not the actually, especially in the States, it's not actually the majority of the situations. Wow. And so like we work with survivors that were trafficked in Vegas and most yeah. of their clients were like high end yeah. corporate corporate executives that were in Vegas for trade shows. And they were men who would have said to you, like, or even to their friends who they were involved in this with, Mm -hmm. they would have said, oh, we're all opposed to human trafficking. But when we're in Vegas, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And I'm sure this woman Mm -hmm. or this young girl is, I'm, you know, she looks young. I'm sure she's 18. She said she was. And, you know, and so the actual, the reason it can be the fastest growing enterprise on the planet, criminal enterprise on the planet. And the reason it's the numbers is that because many of the men are, they're not just, you know, pedophiles in trench coats right. and windowless vans with dirty mustaches, yeah, right? Or like, pimps. you know, yeah, that a lot of it. And if you were to look at the last three news articles from the last, you know, five years in the Seattle times, when there's been a human trafficking bust mm-hmm. in Seattle and you look at who the buyers are, it's not like a, a list of former registered sex offenders. Yeah. It's people from all the big corporations. Wow. Um, it's coaches. It's people that attend church. Right. You know, exactly. It's, and so I think part of that is one, we have to recognize that human trafficking and the, the, the sort of sex industry mm-hmm. and prostitution is all very intertwined. You know, right. there is a percentage. Yeah. Anybody who looks at pornography, yeah. It's a roll of the dice mm. on if you're actually consuming an, a victim of human trafficking. Wow. So the majority of victims of trafficking in the States, pornography is made of them in the 
process of their exploitation mm-hmm. and that's put on these sites yeah. and we know that and there's more and more cases yep. about that yep um there's a there's been a, a whole bunch of lawsuits recently against Pornhub, which is the largest right. porn site that's been all kinds of media about mm-hmm. how they're actually like numerous accounts of trafficking yeah. on their site. So part of it is, you know, just the act of viewing, you're actually consuming somebody's exploitation. Exactly. Um, but yeah. then, you know, the, those who are out there on the streets purchasing would mostly be men who say, I'm opposed to human trafficking. Right. I would never participate in human trafficking. And yet. And yet they are. They do. And so it yeah. does hit much closer to home. Yes. And I think it's, you know, historically, it's been a hard, it's been a hard topic for the church to mm-hmm. address because mm-hmm. it, it's, it's so coded in shame mm. and you know, especially the topic of pornography. Right. Um, you know, part of it is, I think a lot of the church leaders generationally right now, mm-hmm. you know, the era that even for me, the era that I grew up in, that your brothers grew up in yeah. when we were friends in high school, you know, our, we didn't have internet at home until partway yeah. through high school. True. <laughs> and, and so the stuff that people had access to, you know, most of what we would have had access to in high school is mellow compared to like what's mm. on Netflix today. Jeez. Or, you know, most of the images that kids would pass around back then, yeah. like will come in your mailbox in a catalog right. for, you know. Yes, thank and you. So, mm-hmm. Or scrolling through Pinterest or Yeah, and Instagram. so in some ways, I think a lot of people in our generation have this attitude of like, well, I mean, I saw some occasional pictures of somebody scantily clad and it didn't totally ruin me. And it's like, no, 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 what kids now are Mm. being faced with. And it's why several States just in the last year Mm -hmm. are trying to add mandatory age verification online to consume Mm -hmm. pornography because technically it's illegal, but the reality is, is most kids, all they have to do is check like, yes. And then it's there, you know, and what they're finding and like all this, these cases against Pornhub is, is this is, you know, at one point there was a data point that 88% of online pornography depicted acts of violence against women. Wow. And so what these young kids are being exposed to at a young age is not just like they they got a, Mm. a, you know, a magazine that, or a catalog that was a swimsuit catalog and it was like, Oh, that's, you know, making them think lustfully or, you know, it's like, no, no, they're actually, at nine and 10 years old consuming violence. Yes. And it actually, the people that are really sounding the alarm on this in culture Mm -hmm. are actually not Christians. It's brain scientists and, and neurologists that are looking saying, well, we actually have the data on how this rewires the brain and desensitizes these kids to violence and to being perpetrators of violence. And so, you Mm -hmm. know, as a father, that's something for me, I'm really passionate about is, is, equipping parents Mm -hmm. to protect their kids Um, that, you know, often growing up in a church context, people would talk about pornography from the lens of sort of uh, the vague lens of sin of like, Mm -hmm. well, if you look at that, it breaks the heart of God and it hurts your future wife. And you're kind of like, okay, I'm 13. (laughs) I don't know anything about my future wife. It's hard to wrap my head around. Not very compelling. And, and, you know, the average 13 year old, if you say that hurts the heart of God, they're like, well, I don't know. I feel like I'm hurting the God's heart probably all the time because I'm 13 and I'm like, (laughs) you know, I'm selfish. And I'm like, you know, and, 
But when parents start to understand that, mm. no, this is like the brain scientists and yeah. the doctors and states and even countries are declaring it a public health crisis because wow. of how it's affecting the brains of saying, you're not just trying to protect your kids from like consuming something that might hurt the heart of God and yeah. maybe impair their future relationship with their spouse. You're actually teeing them up to be a healthy, well-adjusted mm -hmm. human being that values their own sense right. of self right. and can, yeah. can see others with yes. the inherent dignity yeah. that they have. And that a lot of what's out there is actually robbing them of that, is teaching them. And you look at it, the, mm -hmm. the connection between depression rates right. and yes. that the more that you consume, the more you even start to despise yourself. Yeah. And and so I think, you know, one, that's an area I would love to see the church mm -hmm. kind of offer a voice of hope, mm -hmm. come at it from the place of, hey, the, the good news is God can heal and restore and redeem yeah. and reshape how you view yourself and yes. others. Um and, and to not necessarily just bring, come at it through the lens of shame. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, we know now right. that, 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 you know, that that's not the, the best place to start. And thankfully, uh, I think God gives us a difference between conviction and shame and yeah. an invitation to yeah. hope. And yeah. yeah, so, but it is, I think that's one of the things that for people to know and hear, this is not just a distant issue that happens out there. Exactly. Certainly not in India, only in India or Cambodia, you know, or on the streets of Seattle that, that trafficking actually intersects us much more closely than we'd like to think. It's a human issue. Yeah. It's a sin issue. And I think yeah. every human, we've yep. all fallen in short, fall, fallen short of the glory of God. Yep. Right. And yep. so I think, you know, the way that we eradicate that shame within the church is just recognizing that it's pretty common, like to, to have lustful thoughts or yeah. to like want things that aren't right for us is common to yeah. man. That's our sinful nature. Right. Yeah. And so recognizing that, you know, just confessing that to yeah. the Lord, you're not going to, doesn't yeah. bring shame upon you. Just owning mistakes, yeah. you know, repenting before the Lord. Yeah. And a lot of times we think, oh, if I speak this out to the Lord or speak out, to, you know, to someone else, uh, you know, a trusted brother or sister, what I'm struggling with that I'll feel um, that I'll be rejected. Yeah. But the truth is that the heavenly father like opens his arms to us yep. when we confess our sins, when we you know, say I'm struggling, you know, I'm struggling with this temptation or I've made mistakes. When we, when we confess our sins to the Lord, yeah. he's faithful to cleanse us. Yeah. And that's the best place to start. So I'd say anybody who's like struggling yeah. in the area of pornography or lust or, Hey, welcome to, you know, the club yeah. of the world. Everybody struggles. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Yeah. yeah. You're going to turn your back on evil yep. and confess to the Lord. And I believe that God heals memories. Yep. You know, he can redeem marriages. Yeah. He can bring forgiveness yeah. and healing. And I do believe, like you said, it has to start in the church. It has yeah. to start with us recognizing our own sin, repenting yep. and um, being part of the solution. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and that was one of the things, again, just thinking back on our shared history and like mm -hmm. some of the ways that your dad uh, as, as the pastor of the church kind yeah. of impacted me. One of the things I always appreciated, I feel like he was pretty early on and that there was, there was times that I think we, many in the church now look back on where, you know, like counseling mm. and some of the mental health stuff mm -hmm. was sort of seen as like, Oh, that's for the world. And Christians, if you just pray more oh. then you don't need, and your dad <laughs> was, I think pretty quick in a lot of ways, pretty in, like uh, an innovator in mm -hmm. some ways to say like, Hey, we're going to pursue as 
as followers of Jesus, we also want to pursue a thorough understanding of mental health and connect you to counseling resources and addiction recovery resources. Mm -hmm. And we're not just going to say, hey, all you need is like a prayer shawl and a Bible and a closet by yourself and go work it out. Like that we like, yes, pray and read your Bible and, you know, do those things. But we're also not afraid to embrace like learning and and the study of mental health and some of those elements. And so I think that's an important thing where, you know, the, the church in America hasn't always nailed that one is right. like some people have felt like the message that they got growing up in the church was like, Oh, all you need is prayer. And then mm-hmm. you, you shouldn't need anything else. And yeah. like, I think there's, there's great churches, thankfully that yeah. are willing to bring some of the best resources on addiction recovery, yeah. you know, and mm-hmm. that it's like, how do we combine like the, the heart of God with the best of what we know about how yep. the brain works and how yep. PTSD works and help people really thrive in freedom. Yeah. It's so good. You know, cause we're complicated people. Yeah. And especially when you in, like, uh, if people have been abused or, you know, gone through trauma in their life, it just kind of sets you up sometimes for, you know, issues of addiction. Yeah. And so yeah. being able to process those in a Christian environment is so great. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you also, and I know you've mentioned some people that have been inf- influential to you, yeah. but looking back over your years and over your life, maybe it's at school or through church, people that really, um, kind of help shape the trajectory of your life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's fun now to look back and just see the, the role that different, different leaders played, different pastors played. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that even with this issue, people often assume that like, Oh, I'm, I'm doing this purely for the cause. Cause it's such a compelling cause. Right. Um, but one of the things I often tell young people, especially, and I really believe this and a mentor of mine who I met right at the end of college, and I ended up moving to DC to work for him for a little while. And he's the one that took me to India. But at one point he said to me, he said, Jeremy, what you'll find in life is that often it's more about who you're with than what you're doing. Mm. And at the time that really struck me as like, that seems weird. Like Mm -hmm. what, you know, it's, Hmm. and, and thinking about like, well, but if God calls you to do something like, then you just do it. And, but realizing like looking through scripture and how often God teed up key relationships and then they kind of went about something together. So whether that was like, you know, Moses being sort of given a mission from God and it is, and, and looking at it being like, well, I don't know God, how I can do that, how I can do that. Mm -hmm. And then he's kind of like, well, I've got Aaron with you. And so it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, okay. Then there's Aaron and Moses. Wow. You know, and you have Joshua and Caleb Mm -hmm. and you have Jesus sending the disciples out two by two Mm -hmm. and you have, you know, Paul and Timothy or Paul and Barnabas at different, you know, and, and so that's one of the areas where for me, I've realized like even the small micro steps that I was talking about that, that like sort of led me down this road, those little opportunities to sort of be faithful or to be courageous. Most of those God sent a person Mm. at the right time to sort of validate it. Um, and so, um, my high school, my first youth pastor when I was 12, uh, was a guy named Del Chittam, uh, who, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, he came into my life at, at a time when I was like, you know, I needed a voice other than my dad, yeah. uh, that there's times where it's like, especially as a young man, you're trying to find your identity. And like, yeah. of course you got your parent that loves you or whatever, yeah. but I needed this like third party voice to believe in me. And he came into my life as my first youth pastor at this time and just really called out leadership in me and just started, mm. you know, challenging me to like take on different, different challenges. He started, he was the one that got me into hiking. He, he was oh. planning a mountain biking trip, you know, and he's like, Hey, you should come. And he brought me with his dad wow. and him. And I felt like I was one of the guys. And that was like the first time 
I felt like I moved from like being just a boy that people would tolerate being around <laughs> adult things, yeah. you know, adult, adult interactions or conversation and him, like including me yeah. that I like got to go and hang out with him and his dad as if I was like his friend, even though I was just this like 12 or 13 year old kid or whatever. Wow. Um, and, and certainly this, uh, the, the, the mentor who took me to, to India named Dick Foth, but that's mm-hmm. one of the themes that I often encourage people to think that's about good. is like, if, if you feel like there's an opportunity to step into obedience and you feel like it's, it's too big or it takes too much courage, ask who's the person that you need to invite into that with you. Because hmm. in my experience, God almost always brings community hmm. into acts yeah. of you know, mm-hmm. obedience yeah. and risk and generosity that God has probably already brought someone around mm-hmm. into your life that probably has that similar desire. Even that first climb for captives we did where we had this group and I was, you know, I was like, are these guys going to be you know, frustrated if I right. say, Hey, what if we turn this into a fundraiser? Uh-huh. But what it really took was that group jumping in and saying, yeah, let's do this. And one of those guys who kind of leads the efforts now, a guy named Josh Hebert, who yes. also, you know, was on that climb. And he's like, yeah, I'm all in. Let's I'll, I'll create the website. And it wow. took, you know, so he went all in with me and yeah. was like, I'll build the web, you know, I'll help set up the platform. Yeah. And and it was in some ways his willingness to jump in that gave yeah, me the courage to be totally. like, OK, I'm not doing I'm not this alone. alone. We're in this together. And so I really still believe that as important as this mission is, mm-hmm. that it is still often mm-hmm. even more about who am I with than what am I doing? Like, God, who have you brought into my life that, that can give me the courage when I'm afraid, mm-hmm. you know, that can give me that community when I'm lonely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and knowing that, like, I, I just don't believe that God asks us to go alone. Like, yeah. you know, even before the fall of, of creation, when God made everything and he looked and said, it's it's all good. You know, it's good. He went around. It's good. It's good. Animals, yeah. good. All this. Yeah. And then humans, he's like, it's very good. But then he looked and said, but wait a second, it's not good that you're alone. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was before. Sometimes people think the order was that it was like everything was good until sin. It was like, mm-hmm. no, everything was good until God looked at man and said, oh, he's alone. That's not good. Mm-hmm. And so God created Eve. Um, and, and then, you know, the brokenness of humanity yeah. came after that. Yeah. But that's, I mean, fundamental core to our identity, uh, you know, second to being image bearers of God in scripture, right. like what we know about our identities, first mm-hmm. and foremost, created like the foundation created mm-hmm. in the image of God. Second, not good to be alone. Mm-hmm. And then after that was, oh, and fallen and broken and proud and arrogant and selfish and all the, all the things that the fall introduced. Right that we face today and see manifesting yep. itself all around the world. But before that we were made in the image of God and made for community. Yeah, it's good. Well, thank you so much for saying yes. You know, I just think of your life and um, just oh, the willingness to be used by God mm-hmm. and the hunger for that too. Not just settling for, you know, an ordinary life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, I guess one last question is of course, people are listening and, um, and maybe their heart is just breaking, you know, for, for so many people who are being trafficked and are stuck in that lifestyle. Yep. Um, and probably asking the question, what can I do? Yeah. You know, I'm just an ordinary person. Yeah, absolutely. So what, what do you say to those people? How, how can we be part of? Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, you know, there's a, a few things and, and kind of all tied to some of the themes we talked about today. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously one element that we, we don't want to take for granted that we always tell people is, well, first, don't don't participate in the problem. Yes. Like this is a 100 percent man-made issue. Deal with your own crap. You know, yeah, this is this is not a mystery, like naturally occurring phenomenon like wow. earthquakes where it's like, well, we're just going to get really good at responding to earthquakes, but yeah. sometimes they're going to happen. This is like, no, the only reason this happens is because human beings choose to enslave. Yeah. Yep other people. Yep. And so we want to make sure we're always inviting people to say, yeah. Hey, don't be part of the problem That's right. and deal with that. The, the trauma and the wounds and the shame and the brokenness in your own life, find community, find accountability there. Um, so that's always a, an important first step. Um, you know, the other, the other piece is caring for the vulnerable right around you. You know, the reality of traffickers target the vulnerable. And, and so, you know, we see obviously with caring for, um, the vulnerable right in your community, in your churches. Um, yeah. You know, when, you're, when your daughter or son brings a friend over and mm. it's clear that that kid is really struggling or, yeah. you know, has been in and out of the foster system, like finding ways to love the vulnerable in our immediate sphere yeah. um, is one of the best things we can do in our immediate community to build resiliency against trafficking. That's good. Um, but then the other side of this issue is it does take some special specialization to actually like advance a coordinated and strategic fight against human trafficking. Right. And so of course we always invite people if they want to support the mission, if they want to donate mm -hmm. to, to Atlas free, um, we need all the help we can get that every day our team is working around the world to advance, not just how do we get people out, but how do we, how do we pass the next laws and the policy work yeah. and the prevention work, you know, that yeah. in many places where we work, traffickers have a higher percentage chance of being struck by lightning than they do of being prosecuted if they're trafficking children. So there's so much work to do and it's mm -hmm. going to take a very strategic, very intense uh, battle mm. um, day in and day out. And so, you know, not everything can be done with just passionate volunteers. <laughs> like we need experts. Yeah. We need. Yeah. Um, and so those are some of the big things. Don't That's don't good. participate in the problem. Yeah. You know, engage the vulnerable in your own community mm -hmm. um, and then donate and give to, to Atlas Free or an organization yeah. that that you really believe in locally. Yeah. Um, but we'd certainly invite everyone to, to join us in the fight. And the other thing that by engaging with us, we also are putting out a lot of content mm -hmm. Okay. about educational opportunities, how to understand what human trafficking is, how it's happening in your community, yeah. how to engage in your own community. Um, you know, sometimes it's, hey, there's this policy that we need to yeah. advocate for. You know, unfortunately, there's been efforts in several states, including Washington, uh, where we are to to try to fully legalize prostitution and pimping and brothels and sex tourism and all yeah. the things that make trafficking thrive. Um, and so there's there's a lot of work to be done to uh, keep the cause moving forward and not backward. So. Just because it's legal doesn't make it right. Yep. Right. So regardless. Yeah. yeah and I would just um, piggyback on that first point. Don't be part of the problem. You know, as Christians, um, you know, I said, deal with deal with your own heart. Yeah. And be faithful to your spouse. Yeah. You know, yeah. go to church, find yeah. a community, find a small group. Yeah. Um, love your kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know, talk to your kids yeah. about things that are uncomfortable. Yep. And it is hard as parents. Like I just remember talking to our girls about, you know, uh, pornography or just seeing things online and, you know, you're trying to get into their heart without like suggesting things to yeah. them Yeah. because you don't always know, but those conversations were always hard to get into, but always fruitful. Yeah. And, and, and build trust, Yeah, absolutely. you know? And so as hard as those conversations are, just ask your kids, you know, yeah. Hey, has this ever happened at school? Or yeah. like, cause honestly, that's a lot of times where it happens, yeah. you know, just when they're out with their friends, yeah. friends show them stuff on the internet or yeah. whatever. And, 
Um, and a lot of times kids just feel trapped in that and they yeah. feel a lot of shame. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just being, being a present parent yeah. and a good friend and, and loving. Yeah, that's really good. Well, I want to just close this up in a word of prayer Yeah, and it. I feel like just, it's just so thankful that you took some time to be on this podcast and just share with people. I know that it's impacted just your personal story, but yeah. also, you know, what it looks like to say yes to Jesus, mm -hmm. even when it looks like bigger than you understand Yeah, and that God, you know, like you said, when we take that step of faith, he entrusts us with more yeah. we're faithful with little, yep. he gives us more. So, well, it's, it's fun for me to, you know, it's obviously the unique history and, yeah. and the church has been such a, uh, a gift yeah. uh, to, to me along, mm -hmm. you know, over the years in just the way that, um, uh, the relational history yeah. and, um, and then obviously supporting the mission and mm -hmm. supporting the fight and getting to come back, yeah. uh, and share and, and just to see so many old, old friends and, yeah. you know, the way that you guys have built community, you know, I'm, I'm on the receiving end of sort of seeing a lot mm -hmm. of that story with longtime roots here mm -hmm. that probably even a lot of listeners won't, won't get to know the mm -hmm. full impact of the yeah. ministry of, of what you and, and Jay are doing, but just the way that you've created a community where people can come and be seen, mm -hmm. can heal brokenness, can come and address addiction yeah. and yep. can really experience the grace of God yeah. in a very real and authentic way where it's not the kind of place where it's like, Hey, come once you've got your life together. Serious. And this is the place for, none for, of us you would know. be there. Yeah. And I, I remember, <laughs> I mean, I remember your, your dad saying at one point, like, this isn't a perfect church. In fact, if you ever find a perfect church, don't go there. Cause you'll ruin it. You know, um, <laughs> That's so rude. And, and I've just always appreciated that the, there's the space and the, the kind of testimonies that yeah. I hear every time I come back yeah. and hear of people whose lives have been changed mm -hmm. and how they found hope and freedom from, yeah. from so many things. Uh, it's God's a beautiful good. expression. So God's good. And his mercies are amazing. God is so merciful and mm -hmm. forgiving. Yeah. And I'm so grateful. Amen. Well, let's just close up in a word of prayer. Right. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for Jeremy and for his family, God, for the ministry that you've called them into. Lord, we just speak blessing over them, God. We just speak um, protection over their family, Lord, over this ministry. Lord, I just pray that in, in all the ways that you've led it thus far, that you would continue, God, to lead Atlas Free, that you'd continue to open doors, um, just one door at a time, God, that they can walk through until, until there are no, there's no more need to end sex trafficking because it's ended. That's our desire, God, is that um, that this this issue and this problem, God, would just be solved uh, through salvation, through knowing our identity in you. So God, we just pray that you would rescue women and that you'd rescue men, that you'd rescue people, Lord Jesus, from, from destruction, from darkness, from empty living, God, that they would find true identity and purpose in you, God, in your word, I pray that you would strengthen the churches, Lord, especially here in Washington state, God, that you'd lift up pastors and communities, Lord, that we would be a place that extends your mercy and that doesn't exercise judgment, but just shows mercy and love. And I just pray that would just be open doors to freedom in people's lives. So God, we just commit this podcast to you, this story. Thank you for Jeremy's testimony. Thank you for um, leading him to you, God, and for using him in this way. And we pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope that you will like it and of course share it. Maybe it spoke to you and it reminded you that one of your friends needs to hear this. So go ahead and share this podcast with them so we can be a part of spreading the good news. So God bless you and we'll see you next time.